Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just eight ninety seven for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post. I am joined on the other line by Michael the Pod, Pina, who's covering the NBA at 538 and GQ. Michael, barn burner last night. Just a big one. The Houston Rockets sent Russell Westbrook to the Washington Wizards for John Wall and a protected first-round pick. This sort of deal was rumored uh, a couple weeks ago. It was the kind of deal that I had created in my head when John Wall first got injured like two years ago as one of the only possible escape routes for Washington from his contract. But I assumed there was going to be five, six first round picks attached to just kind of make that thing happen. Lo and behold, it was a case of both teams and I think both ownership groups just feeling like it was time to move on, that they couldn't salvage relationships on both sides. And so they sort of uh, traded problems in a way. I I think we saw in the last couple of weeks, Russell Westbrook won out, John Wall won out, very tricky tap dancing from the Wizards and the media about um, you know whose team is it and it was John Wall in the rumors and, and he's trying to no comment the trade rumors and everything else. It was just an untenable situation, I think, for, for the Wizards side of things. And I think in Houston, it just continues what's been just a, a remarkable collapse here over the last couple of months. So I'm curious, Michael, when you're stepping back from the wreckage of this trade, which I think a lot of people not only view it as a pretty big deal, but also just kind of hilarious and fun, right? It's like, whoa, what? Uh, a straight-up uh, star trade? Uh, both injured, both disgruntled, both on huge contracts, um, both polarizing player types, I think, as well. Um, do you have a winner? Did anyone win? No one won? Uh, who came out on top here? I mean, this was... I, I would not say anyone won this trade. This was... A super sad transaction. I mean, two guys who in their primes were absolutely electrifying and because of, uh, you know, age-related decline and serious injury, they just 
aren't the same guys or are projected not to be the same guys. I guess there's a little bit of mysterious intrigue with Wall in particular because we haven't seen him really play basketball in about two years almost, it feels like. So he could be good. Like, you don't know. I mean, KD came out the other day and said that he was playing pickup with John Wall. John Wall looked terrific. Who knows if that is accurate. Um so, I, I mean, if I had to say who won the trade, I would say Houston because they got a first-round pick for Westbrook, which I think, you know, I don't think anybody thought was possible uh, after the debacle in the bubble and how he played, even though uh, there's pretty good reason for how he played. But, you know, 32 years old of the money that he's due, um, to get a first-round pick for an organization that had given up two future firsts plus two pick swaps to get him, I think that that is a pretty good uh, way to salvage that that transaction. But I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they like they're big winners here. It's just a really sad state of affairs. So when I look at the winners of this trade, I almost view it as that meme where like the brain gets more and more complicated and eventually you get down to like the galaxy brain take, right? So I think like <laughs> the most obvious winner right off the top would be Washington because Westbrook's a better and more reliable player, a more productive player. And so when you go into next season, you're saying, look, there are odds of making the playoffs, the chances that he's going to be able to uh, take over in the Eastern Conference and do his thing and make an all-star team and everything like that is is better than Wall's chances of, of doing the same. So therefore, mm-hmm. Washington wins in the short term. I think the second stage up would be what you're describing, which is like, well... Actually, neither one of these guys is that great. They don't really qualify as a plan at this point in their careers. So the best asset that got traded was actually the pick. So if you got the pick, you're the winner. That's the next uh, the next level up. My galaxy brain take is that Wall's risk of re-injury, not only because of the Achilles, which was sort of like a back-to-back surgery situation when he got it two years ago, but also because of his prior knee injuries, which were, uh, you know, uh, dogging him I guess for for years frankly before even Mm -hmm. the Achilles came along is so grave that moving his contract is actually better than a first round pick and if you imagine a scenario in this season where he does get re-injured in any sort of a meaningful way the cost to move the remaining balance of his contract is going to be a lot higher than that first round pick so Houston just basically backed themselves into a corner. So once it's all done, once I reach the galaxy brain level of winners and losers in my analysis, Michael, I think Washington won because they were able to get rid of Wall's contract, which to me was still among the very worst in the NBA, even though there was only three years left on it, uh, simply because of his very, very heightened uh, risk of re-injury. Now, I'm not Russell Westbrook's biggest fan. I think Russell Westbrook going to Washington is not a clean basketball win. I think you're going to find situations very early on where everyone's looking around and saying, why is Westbrook doing so much? And, uh, you know, Bradley Beal's not doing enough. Can we just give the ball to Beal? He's so much more efficient. He's such a better uh, initiator of the offense for his teammates. Why, mm-hmm. why is Westbrook getting in the way? And so I do think that there's going to be complications on the court. I think there's a reasonable ceiling to this group trying to push into the playoff mix just because the the standard is so low there in the Eastern Conference to kind of get into that six, seven, eight seed range that Washington should be a little bit more of a factor there. Uh, but I'm not saying this is a win on basketball terms. I'm saying this is a win on long-term financial and risk assessment and just, you know, it, it was time to pull the plug after 10 years with Wall and, and things got pretty dicey. And if you're able to get off that contract and, and pass that risk to somebody else, uh, then you wind up coming out on top. 
So I guess let's address this real quick. I want to address this real quick from Washington's perspective and kind of uh, push back a little bit on what you're trying to say here. Um, one of the interesting points that I haven't seen brought up um, too much on NBA Twitter or in any articles I've read about the deal are that uh, the age difference in these players, um, which is something that we normally would, you know, bring up right away. Uh, Wall is two full years younger than Westbrook, even though both of their contracts extend for the next three seasons. So I think that even though Wall had, I mean, they're both, they yeah. both have had. But here's the way I look at it, Michael. I mean, I'm, sure. you know, I'm in my thirties, but I think most of the listeners would agree. You know, I'm in my thirties going on my eighties, <laughs> right? I'm a pretty boring sure. guy. Like, you know, I'm a little bit more advanced. I mean, I think with Wall's injury history, he might be 30, but you know, he's he's thirty going on thirty five. You know what I mean? And right. No. That yeah. That's that's totally fair. Um, they both have had, I think, major surgeries, and Westbrook is coming off a a, a muscle tissue issue in his thigh that uh, was, you know, really prevented him from being a, a productive player. I mean, he hijacked Houston in the bubble in a lot of really detrimental ways. But I think one of the other key points here is the fit, obviously, between Westbrook and Beal. Because if you're Washington, Bradley Beal is everything still. Like, keeping him happy, re-signing him once his current contract expires. Uh, They still seem to want to build around him, and they should. He's an incredible basketball player who averaged 30 points per game last season. Um, Based on what we know with Westbrook, now I'm not saying, I'm not disregarding Wall's relationship with Beal, which has been, you know, described as pretty murky over the years. Um, but Westbrook, you know, um, someone who needs the ball, obviously, someone who wants the ball, obviously, uh, someone who is a little, I think, delusional, a little more delusional than I thought he was based on some of the statements that he's recently made. Michael, and, Michael, Michael, the truth is coming uh, <laughs> out once he's not on your Houston Rockets. I love it. Keep going. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so like, if keeping Beal happy is the objective here, is is Russell Westbrook really your answer? I, I could just see this blowing up in their face in a really bad way. And with Washington, like, I, like are they rebuilding? Like, what are they even doing? This is the weirdest. Like, usually with an NBA team, you're kind of able to see where they are in their life cycle. But, like, what are the expectations for this team in the short and long term? It's so impossible to say. Uh, I, I, you know, it's this is just confounding and has broken my brain. Okay, so here's how I look at it. First of all, it's kind of similar to what happened exactly last year, where Russell Westbrook was the baby to try to save the marriage. Right? It's the same situation. Like he he hops in here in Washington, and their most immediate priority was resolving the tension between Bradley Beal and John Wall. John Wall was the franchise player. He gets injured. Bradley Beal ascends to being the franchise player. Beal has every reason to believe he should still be the franchise player. And John Wall, like a lot of players who suffer career-altering injuries, just expects that once he gets back on the court, things are going to be how it was two years ago. And that was just not going to be the case. And I think it was a situation where uh, you know, Wall was uh, struggling to grapple with the idea he would even be in trade talks because he remembers being the guy who lifted a Washington Wizards franchise out of some really, really bad years early in his career uh, into the playoffs basically four times. So I think that you know he's feeling a little bit slighted in terms of how the team was you know handed off to Beal during his absence. And I think Beal is saying like, look, I earned it. You know, you were out for two years and I carried this whole show by myself. So what do you want? I, th- I don't see any way that that 
tension was going to be resolved because Wall, much like Westbrook, uh, is a very stubborn, strong-minded guy, you know, and he's always been his own biggest advocate. You go back to USA basketball snubbings, you go back to, you know, declaring that he and Beal were the best backcourt in the NBA. I mean, John Wall, um, to his credit, thinks very highly of himself and has viewed himself as an elite player. And I think that the odds he was going to be able to get back and consistently play on that level and strike a right balance uh, with Beal this year was just not going to happen. And I think once you let the personality and the emotions into it, that's why Washington felt like they had to kind of move forward. You know, at the same time, a lot of those same issues uh, could exist with Westbrook, as you're pointing out. I think you're absolutely right to point that out. Um, I think if you're Washington, you're, you're trying to have it both ways here. You have to send a message to Bradley Beal that you're trying to win in the short term. And I think you can make a pretty strong case that Westbrook's going to help you do that more than Wall would, even if he's not really going to turn you into uh, you know, some sort of an Eastern Conference power, right? If it doesn't work, you're also setting yourself up for a situation where whether it's next summer or another year down the road, then you're cashing out Beal and you're going into your rebuilding mode full on with some of these younger players. And, and hopefully you're getting some really good draft picks in a Beal trade. And then you're just auctioning off Westbrook to anybody who's going to take him, probably the New York Knicks, right? In another year or two, once this thing gets even darker. Um, I think that's sort of the, the path that you're having. I think that Washington had to be realistic with itself. Like there wasn't going to be a scenario where, I mean, you remember a couple years ago when it was Wall, Beal, and Porter, and they were like all top five picks, right? Um, I believe their jersey numbers were even one, two, and three, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it was this idea of like, hey, if things broke right, these guys could reach the conference finals if they could add another piece or two around that group, right? Um, those days are so long gone. And I think what this trade signifies is like, look, we're not trying to cling to the past. We're not trying to recapture any of that momentum. We're admitting that we're basically Bradley Beal and a bunch of young guys who haven't really proven anything. And we're going to hope we're going to ride the Westbrook uh, roller coaster for a year. And we're going to see what happens once we uh, get to the end of it next summer. And if we have to pull the plug, then you, either you pull the plug at that point. I think they were, they were really just trying to avoid the absolute worst case scenario, which is Wall gets re-injured, he goes back to being completely untradeable, and then Beal just says, you know what, I tried, I need out. And then you're, then you're in a, a tough leverage position. So I do believe this current situation is better than that very real alternate history. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I mean, I'm, I'm right now, I'm just looking at um, Westbrook's statistics from last season, and I'm comparing them with Bradley Beal's because it's weird to think about this, but like Westbrook made the All-NBA. I know there's some recency bias because of just how poorly he played in the bubble, but like this guy made the All-NBA team last year. He averaged 27, 8, and 7, um, had the exact same usage rate as Bradley Beal did on a team that had no other options, which I think is really fascinating. Um, well, here's what like, I, w- I want you to do, Michael. Can you do something for me right now? It's obviously it's an audio sure. audio format, but can you actually yes. take both of your hands and <laughs> put your palms away from your body up in front of your chest? Okay. Are, okay. are you doing that for me? Okay. Now yes, I want I you. Now I want you to raise both of your arms over your head. And I want you to wave them back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, right? And now I want you to have a confused look on your face, right? 
Now, you have just been Denny Abia for the next seven months, okay? You're never getting the ball. <laughs> these guys might not even know your name by the time the All-Star break comes around, and you're going to watch these two guys do their thing one-on-one. Uh, yeah, look, the usage rate part is a huge problem. I think that Beal, no doubt, is a better player than Westbrook at this stage of their career. I think the fact that he was there first is going to give him a little bit like of an incumbent's advantage, but Westbrook is going to be Westbrook no matter where you put him. He's going to play his game, especially if he's got Scott Brooks there who understands exactly what he's about. And I think they're going to try to turn him loose and they'll probably stagger the minutes, uh, I would guess, to try to give Beal as much breathing room as possible. Um, But the idea of Westbrook doing too much, being inefficient with the shot, um, and, you know, kind of compromising the development of the young players are very real risks. At the same time, they do have some shooters, you know, so it's possible you're going to get a couple good months of monster stats. And personally, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he makes the all-star team. What about you? Well, as you like to say, I mean, this is the JV conference, and so anything is possible there. Um, So two all-stars in the backcourt sounds great, Michael. Why aren't you more excited? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, as we saw last season, and it hasn't been corrected by any personnel decisions, this defense was absolutely atrocious um you add Westbrook who you know takes plays off pretty liberally on that end and quarters off like plays (laughs) (laughs) and like one of the I mean the impetus for Houston deciding to go small and trade for Robert Covington last year was because Russell Westbrook's shot had fallen apart um and deteriorated to a degree that was just entirely untenable for him to stand on the perimeter without the basketball. And so, like, the Washington Wizards aren't really built that way. Like, Robin Lopez shot 38% on corner threes last year with Milwaukee, but he took, like, 50 of them. Um, You know, I don't... There's just... What are they going to do um, with regards to spacing? They do have Bertans. They do have some other shooting. But, like, what are they going to do here? So I think the spacing is not their biggest problem. I think you hit it on it earlier. I think it's the defense. Because you've got Thomas Bryant, who can shoot the three ball a little bit. And he's been working on that. You've got Bertans, right? And then you've got Rui, who is going to at least be comfortable somewhat on the perimeter. And you've got Denny, who's used to being <laughs> sold. You've got Denny, who's used to being kind of like a perimeter, like you know, a typical international player, like trying to you know play outside in. You put all those guys together as your front court with Beal. You've got space. The problem is none of those guys are positive defenders. In fact, they're all minus defenders. Every single one of those guys. So you know, Westbrook, he he might be able to get a lot of dunks. And he might be able to put up a lot of stat lines and do some drive and kick stuff and. Uh, you know, have his highlights and everything else, but it's going to be incredibly, incredibly empty calories because, you know, they're not going to be able to stop anyone again. So I think that is their their biggest issue. Um, I'm not even sure they're going to be that entertaining to watch. I mean, personally, I don't love the Russell Westbrook experience as a viewer. Um, I Maybe I just tend to focus too much on the decision-makings and the mistakes and, you know, the player control fouls and the turnovers and all that, and the missed shots and all that stuff. Um, there will be highlights, but I just think it's going to feel a little bit empty because it's not going to be a balanced team and because it's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, guys going one-on-one and just trying to do their own thing. So maybe they'll prove me wrong. We'll see. I'm not super duper high on them. I think they have a chance to sneak into the playoffs. Um, I saw Kevin Pelton say today in, in his analysis that he wasn't even sure that that was true, that they might still have just not improved themselves enough to, to even be in that mix. Where do you come down on that one? Is this a playoff team? 
You know, the is this a playoff team question is so fascinating now because of the play-in tournaments. Oh, right. Um, Everybody's a, play-in, a playoff team, right? Exactly. It's ridiculous. So, I mean, sure, they could make the playoffs. I mean, when you have someone like Westbrook, assuming he's healthy, assuming uh, that they develop some type of chemistry where, like, I can imagine Brad, Brad Beal is someone who likes to come off the ball. He's not like a Trey Young or like a... Uh, a harden in the way he functions on offense. So maybe the fit isn't that terrible offensively and they develop some chemistry where Westbrook has the ball in his hands the majority of the time when both are on the court. But like, I don't know, like in a playoff, in a, in a one game tournament situation uh, or where they need to win two in a row, having those nuclear talents on your side is, is pretty good for Washington. So I could see them sliding in the back door of the postseason, but like, I also like the Hawks. Uh, I like, I, I'm, I guess like the Pacers are locked maybe to make these. I don't even know. Like the Eastern Conference is such a mess. Sure, they could make the playoffs. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I mean, I think Orlando is probably coming back. I think Pacers are probably coming back oh, a little bit. Um, you know, Atlanta's definitely hopping up. Yeah, Washington, I, th- I would say, is hopping up here a little bit. Um, they, should sure. be, they should be better than last year. Um, and they should be at least in that playing mix. If they're not, I mean, what an utter disaster. But... Look, who knows? I mean, this this organization's been through a lot the last 10 years. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Can we um, switch this around the other way uh, to yes. Houston's side? Because I know they were your title pick. 
They add a five-time All-Star point guard in John Wall, Michael. Is that enough to put them over the top? Are are they going to win the title? (laughs) Can I cut you off for two seconds? Okay. Please. They're they're not my title pick, okay? I I had a weak moment, I think, on the pod uh, in our last episode where I said that I was leaning towards potentially picking them. Michael, Um, I got to say, though, it's so much more fun to picture you over there uh, plotting to replace Lucky the Leprechaun, the Celtics mascot, (laughs) While you while you pick the Rockets literally every year to win the title, no matter what happens, I think it's a great bit. I think you should stick with it. Um, okay, so in all seriousness, if you look at yes. Houston after all these moves, they got Christian Wood. I think both of both of us would give that big thumbs up, right? I mean, for, uh-huh. yeah, yep. even at the price, you know, there was a little bit of a last minute haggling that made his price go up. It's a clean fit exactly what they need um you know longer term piece they lose westbrook they add wall they still have pj tucker they still have eric gordon they lose covington by trade they lose austin rivers they still have daniel house who apologized for the house affair uh during the bubble uh, at his opening media day and they lose their coach they lose their gm bring in first timers at both of those spots um how good is this team how what's Harden's temperature like? How does he feel about Wall going out, uh, or sorry, Wall coming in and Westbrook going out? Like, what do you make of the Rockets after you know just another round of just crazy movement? I mean, this is, in all honesty, the the hardest team to project heading into this season, in my opinion. Um, I think they have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor, just like the range of outcomes for this group. And I'm factoring in the possibility that they will trade James Harden, obviously, and if they do that, then they will be just wretched. Um, but, I mean, you didn't mention also Boogie Cousins. Well, who is, I mean, come on. Well, let's just, I mean, you know, they said he looked good. I know it's a flyer, but that is someone who, I guess aesthetically changes how they want to play if he gets minutes in the rotation, which I assume he will. Um, so, like, can I don't, I, I don't can know. Can I just good. get on my sure. soapbox? Boogie Cousins is not the answer right now. I mean, sure. come on, come no. on. That's You're grasping at straws, right? Like, and I, it's not to demean him. It's not his fault. He's just had numerous very serious injuries. Even before the most recent one, you know, he was struggling from a mobility standpoint on the court. Fit-wise, does he do anything that you need for a player with Harden? I mean, it's arguably a worse fit than Dwight Howard was with James Harden. I'd say actually it is. Uh, If you're looking at which version of Howard you got versus which version of of Cousins you're getting right now, um, I look, it's exciting when you see that headline that your team signed him, but I don't think he's an an impact-making player this year for Houston. I, I, I don't think that Boogie Cousins is going to be the guy who, you know, was in conversations as the best post player in basketball and the best center in basketball. I mean, those those days have clearly passed. But I just think he's someone that's good to have potentially uh, on your roster, just no risk at all with the contract um, and can be deployed in certain matchups. You know, there are big teams in the Western Conference. They're going to need big bodies. So, like, I, you know, I, I think that this is just such a mystery. John Wall is a total mystery. I don't know how he's going to look. Even if he was 100%, the fit with Harden is not super clean. I think it, I think it honestly comes down to... Uh, how they play basketball on both ends, which is also a mystery. Like, I could see them not doing the ISO heavy thing with Harden and trying to get him to buy in 
with off ball movement a little bit more, particularly with John Wall, who's had the ball in his hands uh, as much as Harden has in his career um, and is totally comfortable running high pick and rolls. Um, Let me hop in there real quick on the fit between Harden and John Wall. You know, you go from an excellent fit basketball-wise, from James Harden and Chris Paul. Those guys Mm -hmm. really fit well together. Now, they might not have liked each other. They might not have realized how well they fit together, but they did. You go from a great fit in those guys to, I would consider, a below-average fit with Westbrook and Harden. Now, I think you've gone even worse. I view John Wall and James Harden as an atrocious fit, right? I mean, Wall needs to have the ball in his hands. He's wanting to go up and down fast. Um, He is wanting to orchestrate in the half court. He is often taking shots that he shouldn't be taking and some of the same um, issues that Westbrook has, but he's not as explosive and not as powerful, you know, going to the basket. And you know, James Harden is not going to want to watch and, and stand around and, and watch him do his thing in the half court. He's just not going to want to do that. When Harden has the ball uh, and he's doing his thing one-on-one, you know, Wall is not spacing the court. He's not attracting attention. He's not an active off-ball player. In fact, he's like, you know, because of his injury history, he's one of the least active guys in the half court when the ball is not in his hands, right? He just kind of stands out there and, and essentially rests. I think it's going to be a lot of my turn, your turn, really ugly stuff between the two of them. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time even picturing how you would approach it from an offensive standpoint. And I think that the other guys are going to be suffering from buy-in issues again because you, you have two high-usage ball handlers. You have the architect of the entire scheme and Daryl Morey no longer there to kind of convince people to buy in. You've guys, you've got guys who are angling for new contracts who probably haven't gotten them, and you've got guys who were on really, really good Rockets teams two years ago who are now looking around and saying like, "God, we have really fallen off." You know, it's like, geez. Um, what's happened to us? I think the the emotional ability to kind of keep everybody together, um, the locker room leadership stuff, the motivation factors and all that is going to be huge issues for them. So I don't see a good fit in the backcourt at all. Actually, I see a terrible fit and I see no ceiling on this group. You know, I think that like their absolute best case to me is like the seven seed in the Western Conference. And I think it's more likely than not they're a, they're a lottery team. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, you make totally logical points. I'm not going to deny that. I think that... I'm also coming ha- at this from a place of frustration. I really liked those uh-huh. Rockets teams a couple years ago, right? And I, I just loved the, the idea, the audacity. They played the heel role really well. You know, hey, we've got spreadsheets that says the NBA is coming after us. It's like, this is what... I mean, you know, you just kind of need some of this stuff in your life. And I look at this group now... It's just like they're a dilapidated house, you know, like the the lawn is all screwed up. You know, the paint is chipping. There's a giant hole in the roof. I mean, it's just been absolutely destroyed. We need someone to go over there and flip that house and, and clean it back up, you know, and they can't turn back the clock and the, the damage is already done. And if I'm hardened, I want out. Well, Yes, Harden does want out. I would say to, you know, uh, alter your house metaphor real quick. I think that they're more like an evolving property. They're, you know, they are doing some uh, some some handiwork around the margins and making it, you know, it's a fixer-upper right now. But I think when you add a piece like uh, like Wood, 
who just adds different dimensions to what you can do on both ends, ideally. It just it changes the calculus here. I think Wall is a great passer. I Honest think question. Is a great pa- Honest question. Yes. Has James Harden ever heard of Christian Wood or seen him before? To quote Eric Gordon, you're going to have to ask James that question. <laughs> um, I think, I'm just saying uh, he's you know, not the savior here, right? Like James Harden has had it really good in Houston. He's played on some awesome teams. You make this really nice, like you know, basketball dork approved move to go grab a Christian Wood. That's not a sales pitch to a guy like James Harden when he's watching LeBron getting Anthony Davis and he's watching Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He's dreaming about going to Brooklyn. He's like, you got me Christian Wood. You know, it's like getting socks for Christmas. No, st- oh, you're being rude. No, Christian Wood is good. And he brings an athletic dimension to the team that they haven't had. And uh, he is good. I think one but the- I'm saying James Harden has a different standard is my point, right? Like he's he just casually flipped Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. Like he's thinking big. He's used to having it all. He views himself as an MVP guy every single year. He probably thinks he should have three or four MVPs, right? Christian Wood, I mean, look, that's not... If you're trying to appeal to a James Harden who's got a couple years left on his contract and you know the vultures are are circling and your big offseason move is Christian Wood and John Wall, I, w- I understand that James Harden doesn't have an agent. I would hope he has somebody in his corner telling him, like, come on, bro, you've got to do better than this. If you're trying to win a title, if everyone's putting the pressure on you to take the next step in your career and they're calling you a playoff choker and everything else like that, you can't go to war with John Wall and Christian Wood in 2021. I hear everything that you're saying. Um, I think I want to see it on the court first, and maybe it'll be a total disaster. I just, I, I'm an optimistic guy. Um, I want to see, <laughs> you know, I want to see, uh, you know, they've spent the last few years doing this switch everything scheme to mostly success, although there were some doldrums. I think now they're going to be a little bit more traditional with Wood, and particularly if Boogie gets minutes, I think they'll be, you know, in softer coverages. I'm just interested in seeing how it all how it all plays out. I want to give Silas, the new coach, uh, a chance. He oversaw the best offense in NBA history last season. Like, if Harden is willing to buy in and just you know take a deep breath and give it some time, like maybe this thing can work. I'm just, I mean, they still have the three point shooting. They still have really proven veterans on the team. If everyone just buys in for one more season, I think they could surprise some people. Well, I love it, Michael. You're going down with the ship. I, I really appreciate it. Um, I, yeah, look, Steven Silas was there for the number one offense. I'm going to give Luca. Mo- <laughs> oh, I'm going to give Luca most of the credit. Here's the thing I keep coming back to. Do you remember at the end of the bubble when James Harden said they were just one piece away from being a contender? Um, sure. You know, that comment, I think it got a lot of snickers at the time, right? People are like, come on, bro. What one piece? You just got run off the court by the Lakers. What are you talking about? And, you know, when, and I was thinking, well, that one piece was Chris Paul and you traded him away the previous year, right? You look at what's happened since then. I just am curious, like, first of all, we don't know for sure if James Harden believed that when he said it. I think it was the right thing to say, but if you're hard and you're looking around and saying, you, there's no possible way you can believe, even now you're one piece away. You have to view this as a major step back. And you also have to see a lot of the other superstar guys around the league who you view as your peers, right? Getting what they want. LeBron, boom, 
big new contract extension. Anthony Davis, big new contract in Los Angeles. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving put together the team up in Brooklyn. You kind of go right down the list. Guys are being taken care of and catered to, and that's sort of what you expect. And that's what you have come to expect in Houston for years. And that's just not the case right now, right? His relationship with this organization is changing. And so if Christian Wood comes out and he's an MVP, maybe you can talk me into it, but I don't see that happening. If John Wall comes out and blows the doors off everyone and, and makes an all NBA team, then, you know, maybe he's happy. I don't see that happening either. And I think if I was Houston, I would really strongly consider, I've said this before, but I would strongly consider trading James Harden before the start of the season and just go forward with the rebuild. Um, I get that that's not what their messaging is right now, but I would still, you know, really think hard about it. And remember, Houston told us they were willing to get uncomfortable, right? Well, they weren't that willing because they only got a first round pick to take on John Wall's contract. So I think there was a, a level of desperation from their side to get rid of Westbrook in the short term. And I do think um, that does not bode well, kind of, I guess, for their um, their big picture here. I think, again, you make really good points. I, I want to say, like, if the Nets start out this season, like, firing on all cylinders with the best offense in the NBA and Kyrie and KD are clicking and Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie all make sense in their roles, like... there's no there's no place for Harden to go like the options aren't like they're just not there so he has to sit like the irony here is that he wanted to play this style right that made him a super duper offensive force unprecedented in a lot of ways just how he played his style his, his, his his usage the step backs all of it um, that made him not ideal to play with other superstars in a lot of ways. And so maybe some of the hesitation on a team like Brooklyn's part of breaking up what they have before they get to see what it is, is taking on Harden and having it fit in with Kyrie and KD and not having a lot of depth. Because, like, I, so I, I just think that uh, Harden has kind of made his own bed in a lot of ways, and now he has to sleep in it. And so what that means is you have to elevate guys like Christian Wood who are super talented who have you know he averaged 22 and 10 over a 15 game stretch I, I think that that was something shot 40 percent from the three-point line he's like 610 with a 7-3 wingspan that's something to work with so if Harden is this great player and I think he is a great player like great players elevate those around you and like let's see it he made his own bed 100 percent right look this guy had a giant king-size top of the line waterbed posturepedic all of it and now he's sleeping on a cardboard (laughs) two by four man like this is a mess (laughs) what was he doing now he's sleeping in it all right we've been uh we've been getting after these guys a little bit too hard let's pivot to who i mentioned earlier lebron and anthony davis kind of re-upping with the los angeles lakers now lebron decides to sign a multi-year contract extension that will take him through 2023. The benefit for him there is he gets a little bit of a raise on next year's contract and adds another guaranteed year of salary. So if there was some worst case scenario with injury or age-related decline, he's covered and got himself a little bit more of a cushion and a cash out. As a lot of people noted, it also lines up his free agency with the possibility of his son, Bronny, coming into the NBA in the uh, 2023 draft if the league changes its rules and allows preps to pros, uh, you know, players. In other words, going straight from high school. Um, We also have news from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN.com. 
uh, breaking here today on Thursday that AD is considering or very close to a five-year contract worth $180 million, basically taking every dollar that he can get with a player option at the end of that contract. There had been a lot of discussion, would he go for a, a two-year contract or a three-year contract to line it up with a certain amount of uh, you know years of service and all that? Instead, it seems like he's just saying, look, I love LA. This is the place to be. I, I, there's no wandering eye here. Just go ahead and pencil me in as the, the franchise guy who's going to carry this organization after LeBron gets closer to his, you know, his 40s. What do you make of this, Michael? I mean, these are pretty big moves, not totally anticipated either way. I think you know we've come to expect LeBron wanting shorter-term contracts to maximize his leverage. We probably thought AD was going to take a, a two- or a three-year contract so that he could you know follow a similar path. And instead, they're both locking up uh, you know for the foreseeable future and kind of erasing the possibility of any speculation or trade stuff or any of that um, for at least this coming season, if not another one after that. Big wins for the Lakers. Is there some downside that I'm not seeing here, Michael? What do you make of it? I, I mean, it's obviously they're both they're both surprising. They're both huge wins for the Lakers. But I have a macro question for you that I want to pose. That both of these uh, these contracts kind of have been uh, have instigated in my brain, and it is basically like how much really has the pandemic impacted? Uh, or just added, or just made the NBA's economic picture that much more volatile to the point where, like, AD locking himself into a five-year deal is not something that, like, any star has basically done since the decision, really, that I can think of off the top of my head in terms of being in your prime and not wanting to maximize your salary and, and really limiting your own flexibility and your own decision-making power. Um LeBron is a little bit of a different situation because of his age, um, but that one still also surprised me because he could have entered free agency in 2021 next summer, and uh, now it kind of hurts the Lakers. It doesn't really hurt. I guess it technically does hurt the Lakers in their ability to add a third star, where that just pa- that path is just not there anymore, which, you know, that's maybe not the biggest deal to a team that had, already has LeBron and AD. But, like, I guess my question is, how volatile is the the league's economic like framework right now for these guys? Like, why did AD do this? Well, I, so I think number one, he would not have done this. I don't think if he was in New Orleans or just name any market. Right? I think a big part of his decision making is you're at a premier organization that has shown the ability to win a title and has also shown the ability to have its front office work very closely with your agent to you know set things up for how you want it right like i, I think we should give credit not only to rich paul but also to rob palinka for being willing to kind of have that collaborative relationship not every front office would and i think that lebron and ad and all those clutch guys feel very empowered in los angeles very comfortable and i think that counts okay so that's number one number two i 100 percent believe the pandemic is influencing decisions like this it was actually something that i had mentioned a couple of weeks ago i'm not sure if we talked about this but I was using it as the strongest argument that, you know, Giannis might want to sign the Supermax is the same idea of just the crazy long-term financial uncertainty. The idea of having this flexibility year to year doesn't sound so great if you're worried about a potential lockout in a few years, right? Or if you're worried that the pandemic is going to wipe out two and a half years worth of revenue and totally change the NBA's financial landscape. If you're worried about not having fans in buildings for the majority of two seasons, 
your mentality starts to shift like, look, I can't control a lot of things about life right now. You know, during the pandemic, what I can control is maximizing my earning potential now and locking in as much money no matter what as I can. And so I I think that that's where it it kind of, uh, you know, changes people's priorities. And I think that's natural. It's not even just a basketball thing. Look, in, in times of great instability and tumult and you know, the possibility of, you know, financial, uh, you know, we, we had for a while there, uh, a stock market crash, I think it's rebounded, you know, quite, quite well. But I think anytime you've got that level of financial volatility, people are going to cling for stability where they can. And I think this is a good mm-hmm. example of it. Um, now, were they going to sign up for some situation they didn't want to be in? Um, no, I don't think so. I think that you would still get the advice from your agent, hey, do what's best for you. And, and let's at least keep some options open. Um, I think in the case of AD, it's easier to make the case he should re-sign with the Lakers for five years. I still think with Giannis, and you're looking at some of the moves they made or didn't make, um, there's a little bit more risk there, right, to, to re-signing the Supermax because now you're banking on Drew Holiday being able to be re-signed, right? You're banking on Chris Middleton for being a big-time player for the next four years. You're, you know, you're banking on the front office being able to find a, a longer-term Brooke Lopez replacement down the road, right? It's it's not quite as, um, you know, kumbaya as I get to play the next year, two years with LeBron, and then I get to be the face of the, you know, the highest profile league, uh, organization in the league, which is what Anthony Davis is dealing with. So, um, you know, th- there are different decisions, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if Giannis reached a similar conclusion. And I think if I was an agent, in most cases, because I there would there would be a lot of things I couldn't predict, and I would be really worried about a pending labor war down the road because of the massive financial losses these guys are taking. I would say, get your money now. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I think the most interesting perspective to view these transactions from is just, I, I think Anthony Davis's is, is the most startling for me. So his alternative, the, the most popular alternative that I expected personally was for him to sign the two plus one, which would allow would have allowed him to re-enter free agency with 10 years of experience and make him eligible for a max contract that is then 35% of the salary cap. Now, that's kind of the impetus for my question before about how much he and Rich Paul kind of saw the financial future of the league being murky to lock in this $190 million deal or whatever it is instead. But what I do also think is really fascinating, and it kind of speaks to what you were saying about being the face of the Lakers, and he must just really love that experience being in L.A., et cetera, like just guaranteeing like you don't know the NBA is so fluid, man. And like you don't know what the Lakers are going to look like in two years and to when when LeBron's contract expires and maybe he leaves to play with his son like all of a sudden AD is under contract for another two years in his prime on a team that could be terrible. We don't know right. that. So that's the whole point of if you're a great player to to have that flexibility for yourself to put the organization over a barrel to convince them and force them to make decisions that are in your best interest as the superstar. So like, I'm not saying that the Lakers are about to get cheap or anything like that. Well, I am saying that, I, I real quick, I am saying that I think that you know, the jury is still out for me personally on how uh, competent Rob Palenka in that front office is uh, in a post-LeBron universe. No, I hear you. But the counter is this. He's got the most powerful agent in the NBA. And if Anthony Davis wants out of LA, he's going to be able to get out of LA just like he got out of New Orleans, right? Um, I mean, I I don't think there's any situation (laughs) where, you know, if Rich Paul and Anthony Davis decide, hey, this run is done, 
they're going to be able to orchestrate a deal. Um, and I think that, number one, we see superstars move constantly in all sorts of different ways. So that's just become the standard. If guys uh, want out, it's always in the organization's best interest to let them go and to kind of cash out as much as they possibly can. So I think that's the insurance policy. I think that if Anthony Davis is like, hey, Rich, like, I don't want to get stuck in a bad spot where like, you know, we're going through a rebuild. Rich is like, don't worry, bro. I'll get you traded. It's fine. We already did it in New Orleans. It was no big deal. You know, <laughs> it cost us like $25,000 whatever the fine was and you had to wait three months and then it got taken care of so i think that is the where the trust factor is coming from with anthony davis and um but you're right five years is a long time these teams go in cycles they're going to look a lot different if lebron uh does fall off a, a cliff from an age and age related decline standpoint and they're also locking in this five-year contract at sort of like the peak moment of Anthony Davis's career, right? He's probably never felt happier than he has, you know, since celebrating that title in October. And so that's always a little bit dangerous when you're making big decisions like that. Um, but I don't I don't see a ton of downside risk for him because I, I do think that uh, there's going to be a lot of teams who would line up to offer amazing trade packages uh, for Anthony West. Davis. If he decided he wanted out. West Coast bias is all I hear out of your mouth right now. But I also really want to quickly add that uh, the Lakers will not have their first round pick in 2025. It belongs to the New Orleans Pelicans. I believe in 2027, someone out there, double check for me. Um, But they have a lot of picks that are out the door owned by New Orleans as well. So I just think like rebuilding around Davis, you know, it's a problem that a lot of teams would love to have Anthony Davis in their prime. And you make a really good point about sure he can force his way out if he needs to i think that the maybe like the optics of that were terrible when he did it the first time around and would be doubly so if he turned his back on on the on laker nation let but, me ask you does, you know, that's any, a bridge does and it gets there. anybody care about optics anymore i feel like look and that's the thing i think it's like the people <laughs> who care about optics just have tuned out of the nba right because it's just like, look, guys are moving. They have too much power. It's not fair. Like, there's not a competitive landscape. The Lakers just hoard all the talent. The big market franchises always get the stars. So there's definitely fans who are watching what's happened here the last five years during the player empowerment era, and they're saying, I can't really cheer for my team anymore because I don't know who these players are. They move too fast. We can't keep our superstars. It's not fair. So those people are out. I feel like I mean, what were the optics of the Russell Westbrook experience in Houston? They were terrible. It was there for one year. Did it stop anyone from doing anything or did this the whole show just kind of go on? I mean, I don't know. Like, does optics matter? I guess that's my question. Is that influencing any of these guys' decisions? It sure doesn't feel like it. And I would say that if if, if I'm Rich Paul and Anthony Davis, I'm like, yeah, we took a beating for a couple months, but he won a title. He just got a five-year contract. We could negotiate any terms of any deal that we wanted. Let the haters eat cake, you know? (laughs) <laughs> Let the haters. Can that be the name of this episode, please? Um, <laughs> I, 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 I just real quick about like optics, um, which is like a whole different podcast episode. But like Kevin Durant is someone who obviously cares about optics. It is the deci- the reason why he went to the Brooklyn Nets, pretty much, um, and the reason why he went to the Golden State Warriors in the first place. Um, so I think that they do still matter a little bit to some people, for sure. Um, but yeah, that's just, uh, I mean, like, yeah, like Anthony Davis was going to get his money regardless for sure. I also think that we did have a conversation earlier when he did win the title where we were kind of like, are are you emotionally invested in Anthony Davis winning this championship? Like you're watching him cry on the court and I don't think anyone, I I don't know. I can't speak for everyone. Um, cause I'm sure a lot of Lakers fans were emotional about it, but like, 
the average NBA fan who's watching that is like, dude, you just forced your way there. Like, you're playing with LeBron, the best player ever, or at least of his generation. Like, why are you so emotional? Like, no one cares. Right. No, I agree with you that they did not connect. This this title team did not connect with the Masters compared to some previous title teams. I guess my point is that, like, the actual people who are making these decisions, Anthony Davis, his agent, LeBron, I don't sure. think they really care that much. I think they would rather just sign whatever contracts they want, win the title if they possibly can, and live in Los Angeles and have a good life. I'm pretty sure that those are their priorities, right? <laughs> and they're just kind of hoping, you know what, like if we get the do, we get the do. If not, you know, hopefully we can like, you know, start our own media company and tell our own story in two years, right? You know, and that's <laughs> kind of what they've done. So um, that's why I'm saying like this whole optics questions uh, is, is a tricky one because I, I don't think it's as simple as like, uh, you know, guys wanting to alter their free agency decisions or their career paths solely to appease the public. I, I think those days are, are kind of done. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Michael, we should um, take some more questions here. Uh, we got one from Brady in Alaska. He writes, is it just me or is this the best slate of Christmas Day games ever? Just looking at the teams involved, you've got all four conference finalists. You've got last year's best regular season team in the Bucks. You've got the dynasty of the past decade in the Warriors. You've got a major title favorite in the Clippers. You've got Kevin Durant's comeback on the Nets. You've got Luka's Mavericks and you've got Zion's Pelicans. The only team that might feel snubbed either 
lost in the first round, which is the Sixers, or they lost in the second round and lost major pieces like the Toronto Raptors and Houston Rockets. So really, they have nothing to complain about. Plus, you've got a lot of great storylines. Luka versus LeBron, Kyrie versus the Celtics, and the bubble rematch of the comeback kids, the Denver Nuggets versus the Clippers. Obviously, the NBA always tries for marquee matchups on Christmas, but it seems like this year they were extra motivated to get it right with the late start and the empty arenas. I like this take from Brady in Alaska. First of all, we don't hear from Alaska very often, so I appreciate that, Brady. I'm glad you're checking us out. Second of all, I think he runs counter to a little bit of what I saw on NBA Twitter, which was I think a lot of people didn't particularly love these matchups, Michael. So I was curious, where did you come down um, on the Christmas Day slate? I mean, hate is a strong word. Um, I don't like these at all. I, I, you know, you asked me to rank them, and I think we're we're probably going to do that in a minute, maybe. But like, I had a difficult time coming up with a number one. I don't like. I mean, like, I'm going to watch all these games and enjoy them because that's who I am. But like, they could have done such a better job. So like, instead of ranking them, can I actually give you the matchups that they should have done with these same ten teams? Ooh, so you're just playing like uh, musical chairs, basically. That's exactly what I'm doing, except everyone gets a seat. Everyone's going to be happy. Okay, so, let, me, let me hear it. So the first game of the day, Heat Bucks. It's a rematch of the second round upset. Miami went to the finals eventually. Uh, you have the Giannis-Miami intrigue. Uh, it's just, it's rich in a lot of ways, and narratively speaking, and narrative kind of drives a lot of my motivations in, in, in these matchups, but like, the Heat just knocked off the Bucks in the second round. Like, why aren't they playing each other? Why are they? Why are the Heat playing the Pelicans in a in a basketball game? Like, that is so so random. Like, do you, do you agree with me? The Heat Pelicans one stands out as making very little sense. It felt like it's awful. It's like the overflow game where, like, look, we have to put the Heat on because they made the conference or they made the finals. You know, we have to put the Pelicans on because they have Zion and he like somehow draws more television viewers than basically everyone. So we're just going to shove them together and call that the first matchup. Um, I will say, though, I was relieved because you do you know what I thought they were going to do? What? I thought they were going to try to appeal to like the hype beast generation. And I thought they were going to go Zion versus LaMelo for the opening game. Oh. And I thought they were going to just like go all in with the Ball Brothers storyline, maybe get LeVar like, you know, tier 2 access to an empty arena so he can cheer from the stands. Like I was worried that they were going to go Hornets Pelicans. So I actually admire the restraint uh by the NBA of not putting LaMelo on Christmas because I'm sure he would draw pretty big ratings um, just because of all the hype that he generated over the last couple of years. And I was mainly worried because of how much they milked Zion last year. I mean, put him on national TV like 10 of his first 14 games or something like that. That had me nervous. So I don't like uh, their matchup. I do like the idea of Heat Bucks better. So, so far, you're one for one. Okay, super. So, I mean, I can go on a little bit about why I think the Pelicans should not be there, but I'll just be like... Uh, screaming into the wind because the Pelicans are going to be there because of Zion. So I'm not even going to entertain the uh, alternative. But like, if I were the Blazers, I would be upset about this. But I just want to get that off my chest. But like, I thought Portland um, and Philly were the two biggest snubs, and Houston, you know, questionable because they. I think they probably didn't know whether the trades were going to happen, so that was probably influencing mm-hmm. the the scheduling decision. Yeah. But yeah, I, I agree with you. Portland, Portland feels like a snub here. Um, and if you're Lillard, you're like, you know, more fuel to the fire. Yeah. Yeah, so instead of uh, 
Pelicans Heat, I'm going to have the Pelicans play the Dallas Mavericks. And the reason here is pretty simple. We have the two best young players, two most exciting young players in the entire NBA, um, dueling for like on a national stage, um, giving people a glimpse of what could be for the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, this just makes too much sense. I don't understand why this was not the matchup. I, I hear what you're saying, Michael, but you just ruined the best game of the night and you made it worse. The best game of the night was Luka versus LeBron. That was the one game I didn't want you to screw with. I didn't want you to touch it. I know everybody wants to have Lakers Clippers for every big time showcase showdown. Yes. I think yes. that was fine and that you're, you're maybe you're going there. I like the pivot. I like this idea of Luka coming off the bubble, hitting that insane game winner against the Clippers, having some really memorable head-to-head showdowns with LeBron, the fact that he idolizes LeBron, the fact that he's going to become the face of the NBA once LeBron fades. I Set it up now. Let's get this push going. I felt like the NBA was slow to market Giannis when he was developing the last couple of years. I think Luka has earned the right to be on the absolute biggest stage. I think we've seen LeBron go head-to-head against KD and seen him go head-to-head against Kawhi enough. Uh, we've certainly seen him play Steph in a lot of big moments as well. I love the idea of LeBron versus Luka. So you screwed that so, one up, Michael. Thumbs down. No, 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 no. So you, Luka has not, uh, d- does not deserve anything. He has, how many playoff what? series has Luka, Luka, how many playoff series has Luka Doncic won in his career? Look, he's... Even, answer, answer the question and let me go on with my argument. Zero. It's zero. The, answer, the answer is zero. Okay, is he so, not an MVP you not, caliber player? You, you, he, he is, but he has not won a playoff series. Wouldn't he so make the conference you, finals in the East? You... <laughs> that, that is not the argument here. I think that you are... Uh, not you. I think that the the schedule makers here are getting a little bit ahead of themselves with this type of matchup. I think that you're Luka late, Michael. They're right on schedule. You're late. No, no, no. And I also this is another hot take for a different episode. Hopefully that I, you let me kind of cook on. But I don't <laughs> think the Mavericks are going to make the playoffs this year. What? Um, so so anyway, uh, the next matchup oh, that I have, and we don't need God. to go. We, we you slipped the best. <laughs> you slipped the best takes in with like five minutes to go on every episode. We're going to lead that episode uh, next week. Okay, so give me the rest of your your ideal matchups. Right. So real quick, like I, Clippers, Lakers. I just I love watching the Clippers and the Lakers. I mean, that's the best rivalry in the NBA. I don't care what anybody says. Like Kawhi versus LeBron is is the it's just it's so sexy. Um, and I want to see the, how the Clippers bounce back um, from just their total debacle. I know we're going to get it on opening night and that's wonderful. Um, Christmas is a little different. It's a little special. And, you know, you add the Montrezl Harrell beef. You add there's just a lot of different um variables here that I really would love to watch. And I just think Clippers Lakers is like peak NBA basketball right now. I hear you. Look, you can't go wrong with Kawhi LeBron, but at the same time, they used that for like every single big game last year. And I, the fact that they can't really do it back to back on opening night and Christmas, you have to kind of pick one. I like the idea of the Clippers having to watch the Lakers get their championship rings on ring night. I think that's kind of hilarious. And, you know, then you go from that to LeBron Luka. I just don't think you can top that. I I love that matchup. And they were really fun, entertaining games last year. Luka gets up for it. And I also think Luka's going to be on a a man on a mission this year. You know, guys like you trying to write off the Mavericks are nuts. I think he's going to be, if not the MVP, 
top two this season when you're looking at who's going to bring energy in empty buildings and you know be able to hold up night after night, back-to-backs and all that stuff. I like his young legs being able to do that. I like just the fact that he'll play anywhere, anytime. And um, I want a statement. You know, I want a big-time statement on Christmas Day from Luka, and I'm, I'm hoping we get that. Okay, give me your last uh, matchups here real quick because there's only a few teams left, right? Yeah, so the next one I have is I think Celtics – uh, Nets is fine. That's really good. Um, it would be a lot better if uh, if fans were allowed in TD Garden with alcoholic beverages and Kyrie Irving stepped on the court. Like I think that that would be just the environment everybody wants on, on Christmas Day. How is Tatum um, going to do in that matchup with KD? Is he coming out on top, Michael? 40, 40 and 15 at you think? least. Is, is, uh, yeah, no, that's definitely what it is. He's going to average that for the rest of his career against KD. <laughs> no, I, th- <laughs> I think that, um, you know, that like these two organizations, they don't have like a real rivalry per se, but you have the Kyrie factor. You have, uh, you know, the fact that still that there was the trade that kind of rebuilt the Celtics on the fly and uh or not on the fly but let the Celtics accelerate a rebuild by getting all of Brooklyn's assets and then Brooklyn turns around and says we don't really care we're gonna still sign uh your best player and Kevin Durant um and maybe leapfrog you in the Eastern Conference so I think that you know on the court it's really fascinating uh and then there's all the other stuff to kind of uh salivate over Away from basketball, um, and this was and my this was my number two game. I actually would have preferred doing Nets Warriors on Christmas and just kind of flipping it, right? Have mm-hmm. have Nets Celtics on opening night and then have Nets Warriors on Christmas, just so you get the KD versus Steph uh, storyline. But yeah, I think the NBA was probably thinking we need to spread out Steph, KD, and LeBron into different games. I think that was probably their their strategy here. So you know that's probably why they landed where they did. So who was the last game in in your lineup? So the last one is this: the two leftover teams, um, the Denver Nuggets, who I do not want to disrespect. I think they deserve a spot on Christmas Day, and the Golden State Warriors. Um, I, you know, I think like first of all, this is just a fascinating uh, basketball matchup. Everyone wants to see Steph on the court again. Everyone wants to see. I think you know, I wrote a piece last year. Uh, comparing Jamal Murray with Steph and the way that Jamal was playing in the bubble and the shots he was hitting and how he was hitting them. Uh, I think that there's a parallel there. There's a parallel in terms of how both of these organizations were built, just like with patience and continuity and homegrown draft picks and all that. Like, that is awesome. So it it could feel like a passing of the torch, to be honest, Um if the Nuggets were to, uh, you know, uh, topple Golden State, I think that would be a really cool game to watch. Yeah, you talked me into that one. Um, I would say that, do you remember a couple of years ago when Draymond would kind of bully Jokic, you know, and try to mess with him and kind of, you know, keep him uncomfortable on the court? It's sort of like Jokic coming back after having gone through puberty. It's like, all right, now <laughs> now we're ready for this matchup. You know, it's like uh, he's not going to be intimidated anymore. He's going to win that one inside like pretty easily. Um, that would be a good game. So just to run down real quick, uh, the NBA's official schedule. I'm not sure if I did this earlier. It's Pelicans Heat. It's Warriors Bucks. It's Nets Celtics. It's Mavericks Lakers. It's Clippers Nuggets. To me, the best of those games is is LeBron versus Luka. Next, you've got Tatum versus KD. That's pretty juicy. Um, next, mm-hmm. I would go 
uh, probably Warriors Bucks. It's a weird game. I think the NBA might be trying to say, hey, look, it's two homegrown superstars, Giannis and Steph. Yeah. Not all of our guys move every single summer because <laughs> uh, uh, they're probably two of the longest tenured guys in the league at this point. Um, it's just a weird kind of cross-positional matchup between those two superstars. doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, fourth, I would go uh, Clippers-Nuggets. That was a pretty entertaining series. And the Clippers, I'm sure they're already sick of everybody writing them off and all the reports about their terrible chemistry and everything else. So I would expect them mm-hmm. to come out motivated for that game. If they don't, write them off for the entire season, right? If they don't come out <laughs> and win on Christmas, they're done. Okay, that's my take. And uh, last but not least is Pelican Seed. As you identified, that was the weakest link of the Christmas Day schedule. All right, Michael, I think we've reached the end of another episode of Open Floor. Thanks for letting me get all feisty today. Thanks for the great takes uh, throughout. We want to hear what you guys have to say about the John Wall and Russell Westbrook trade. We want to hear what you have to think about the future of the Houston Rockets. Did James Harden make his bed and is he now sleeping on a two by four? Let us know. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Openfloormail at gmail.com. Michael's on Instagram and Twitter at Michael Villas and Victor Pina. I'm on Instagram at Ben.Golver. On Twitter at Ben.Golver. You can find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy to help us spread the word. All right, Michael. Until next week, I will talk to you. Talk soon, Ben. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.